Tree, good afternoon to you. It's Friday, it's quarter past 12, and this is where I ask you to join us on Facebook Live, Morning Brew, blah, blah, etc., and so forth, as we say hello to our friend James Marsh, because it's Marshy Movie Time. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. How are you? Yeah, better now. Wonderful. My week is complete. In fact, it very nearly is. What's going on? Well, big, big things are going on. Uh, we have the Oscar nominations to talk about. Yeah, which it's always fun doing those. Uh, it's always fun. Yeah, exactly. And, it's, and this, of all years, has been very strange. You know, they've extended the eligibility period. So as long as it came out before the end of February, it was still eligible. So that's why we're only talking about the nominations now in the middle of March when they should have been, we should have been, they should have been awarding the Oscars at the end of February, yeah. which is now going to happen at the end of April. And obviously, the, we don't have a significant number of big studio movies uh, because they've all been held back. And so what we're seeing, particularly in like the, the big sort of best picture races and what have you, a lot of smaller indie movies, uh, a lot of movies by the streaming services. So Netflix is in there, Amazon is in there, um, you know, and the landscape has significantly changed. Now, with that has come... Um, inclusivity, diversity, and all the things that have been clamoring for for many, many years. Yeah. Uh, you know, even as recently as a couple of years ago, we were talking about Oscars So White and all the rest of it, and apparently the nominees this year are the most diverse ever, not least in the major acting categories. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So it's changed indelibly, do you think? Well, I mean, I, it's, it's so difficult to say because, uh, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, when we get back to normal, but you know, the <laughs> big question this is, is will we ever get back to normal? This is it. You know, is this as normal as it's ever going to get again? Uh, how are these studios going to uh, sort of evolve out of this in order to manage it? How You know, and when it comes to... Uh, I mean, people are talk already talking about how are the Oscar ceremonies going to take place. We saw the Grammys earlier, we saw the Golden Globes earlier, and how they're doing these very different kind of events. I, I know that Steven Spielberg, Oscar-winning... No, Soderbergh, sorry. Steven Soderbergh, Oscar-winning director Steven Soderbergh is sort of the director of the Oscars this year. And uh, he has um, just sent out a memo sort of saying that they do want to do an in-person event as much as possible, even if that means doing it in a number of different locations simultaneously, and that they don't want anybody on a Zoom call, especially not a winner giving mm. an acceptance speech. So not exactly sure. I think they're going to try and stay something at Union Station in Los Angeles rather than at the Kodak Theatre, where it has historically always been. So we'll have to wait and see how that happens. I mean, I can see a lot of people, particularly nominees from overseas, not wanting to come over for it because of the qu quarantining exactly. and things like that. But Soderbergh, Soderbergh was head of the, like, the task force that put together the, sort of the post-COVID manifesto of how studios can get back to work, and that has started to happen. So if anybody kind of knows how to do it safely, it might be him. Yeah, so we'll you, have to see. It's funny you're talking about how the event's put together, where it's going to be. I just had Danny Hicks going on about a complete upending of the um, Japan Olympics and the way they're having to do everything differently, and it's it's conundrum city. Mm hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, everything has had to change, and yeah, the Olympics. I've got. I have no idea what they're going to do with that. How that's going to happen, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, with the Oscars, it's going to be it's going to be very strange. You know, it's almost like uh, anybody who's been nominated, uh, they're going to have to like get them get them into the U.S. now and then keep them quarantined somewhere safe for the next few weeks because 
and then they don't win uh, or, you know, or, or even, the... even if they do win i mean uh, yeah, lose, losing out win. on jobs you're, or you know, you're singing <laughs> who knows who knows how they're going to do it but that that's the plan to do everything sort of in person but i think from a number of different places but we shall see anyway on to the nominees themselves and like i said it's an eclectic bunch yeah. head of the pack right now is david finch's mank that we had talked about at some length the sort of black and white biopic of Herman J. Mankiewicz, who was the screenwriter of Citizen Kane. Yes. As played here by Gary Oldman. Now, this is a big Netflix movie, so you can watch it on Netflix right now. That leads the way with 10 nomina nominations in many of the major te uh, categories, Best mm -hmm. Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, uh, and a lot of craft ones. I have a sneaking suspicion, however, because it's not the favourite, and I have a sneaking suspicion that it might end up being sort of like this year's The Irishman, where it, you know, it storms in, gets a ton of recognition in all the categories, yeah. but then on the night loses it loses everything just your feeling i just have a sort of yeah i just have a sneaking suspicion i mean if you just look at the favorites in each category at this point Manx not there Manx not the top of the pack also nominated you have nomad land which is the runaway favorite uh another film that made it into my top 10 directed by chloe Zhao, who is causing uh you know all kinds of controversies right now because she's chinese born and has moved to the u.s to make her name when she won the golden globe Ch globe chinese media was quick to champion her only to then realize that she's maybe her opinions on china aren't the, the most positive and so uh, they've now kind of turned their back on her, even though I, I, I think she turned her back on them many, many years ago. And the plans to release Nomadland in China at the end of April have sort of quickly evaporated. So we don't know what's going on there. And Nomadland is um, scheduled for release in Hong Kong or in two weeks' time, on April the 1st. Uh, and it is the hot favourite to win Best Picture and Best Director. Let me just look to one side for a second, James. Someone say hi and good afternoon to Steve, who joins us on Facebook Live, and you can too. He says, no one I know raves about Mank. Well, that's just people you know, Steve. <laughs> what do you reckon, James? <laughs> I mean, I liked it very much, but I know what you mean. Um, it feels very... I mean, it's... <laughs> Ironically, it's about old Hollywood, but it feels very old Hollywood. Even though David Fincher uses a number of state-of-the-art digital technology in order to create uh, Hollywood of yesteryear, yeah, 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 there's yeah. something about it. It doesn't feel progressive in the same way that a number of these films do this year. And in the current climate, oh, you're on a story, another story about another sort of uh, tortured white man, who cares? But is you that know, really that where we're going? I mean, every, there's a caveat seemingly in every sentence. Um, you know, it's a tough one that we've, we've just tried to tickle before, but are we really going to bring up this issue in every single thing we talk about? Not you and I, but in general. Um, I th it's it's the pressing issues of the day. You know, it is being um, either forced or uh, embraced into every conversation. Every decision that is being made right now is one about how can we be more in inclusive, more diverse. But, but, but the story the of, of Mankiewicz, and, you, know, yeah, you know what I'm going to say. There's no point in even saying it. I mean, I know what you mean, and 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 that's entirely the point. The story of Mankiewicz is is not the most um, perhaps relevant story to be told in 2021. Well, what is? And I think that's what I mean. I liked it very much. Okay, what is? Good question. Well, Promising Young Woman certainly is a story to be told right now. That was one of my favourite films of last year, and I was very happy to see it uh, score, I think, five nominations, uh, including a Best Director nomination for Emerald Farrell, yeah. Fennel, uh, which makes her only the second... Um, no, it makes it the first time two women have been nominated for Best Director. Okay. And that's great. And uh, she, I think, is... 
one of the first women ever to be nominated in three categories in the same year. Chloe Zhao is actually nominated in four categories, uh, and that's the first for any woman in any discipline. Uh, you know, picture, director, screenplay, you know, covering all the bases. Um, also, Carrie Mulligan is nominated for Best Actress for her role there, and I really like that movie. And that definitely is a film that touches on, uh, you know, one of the big uh, narratives of the day. It's a kind of, uh, it's essentially a rape revenge comedy. Th- Let me just throw this out there, James, woman. whilst you're talking, because mm-hmm. I mean, Mank mm-hmm. is a piece of work. It's a work of art, whatever you want to call it. It's filmmaking. Um, and I think you should just tell me, you should just ask our listeners a question about this one, because more specifically, you know what you're on about here. I'm just saying, why is it not worthy? And perhaps you can elaborate on that. Okay, one. well, you asked that question. I mean, I, I, I understand, I think, the narrative, the, the current climate. Um, I understand why it is being sort of ignored somewhat. I'm not basing it on a current climate, and I promise I'm not arguing with you. I'm just saying, you know, apropos nothing, you're allowed to argue why is it not worthy? You know, end of story. Anyway, okay, I'd love to Facebook hear what people's guys. opinions yep. are because I have one. Yeah, good, good. Bring it. Uh, okay, so yeah. you got promising young woman. You got promising young woman in there. Um, you've also got Minari, which is this American-made Korean language film. It's like um, a sort of uh, nostalgia piece from the uh, from the director. Uh, it's. A very sort of personal work about his uh, his childhood, uh, and Lee Isaac Chong, who wrote and directed it, has been nominated for best director as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. The best director field itself is incredibly incredibly diverse. Like I said, two female directors are in there: uh, Emer- Emerald Fennell and Chloe Zhao. Lee Isaac Chong is in there for Minari, and then alongside David Fincher, and then a surprise addition: Thomas Vinterberg for Another Round. Another Round, the Danish film that was my favourite film yeah. of last year. <laughs> I mean, I thought if anybody had a shot, I mean, I think it is still the favourite to win Best International Film, but I think I thought if anybody else had a shot, you might have seen Mads Mikkelsen get a Best Actor nod. That hasn't happened. Okay. But director Thomas Vinterberg, who is, you know, very established, very well-liked, you know, good to see him get some international recognition. Yeah, he's going to get on to uh, the, the nuts and bolts of his review. And after the news, uh, wants to talk about mm-hmm. uh, Oscars nominations and stuff now. You must have an opinion. Tell us what it is. Anything you like. Sorry, James, go on. You must. You, you must, must have an opinion. Absolutely. And I demand, I demand to know what it is. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, it's good to see Minari get as many nominations as it did. I think people were rubbed up the wrong way when it was put in the best foreign language film yeah. category of other award ceremonies because they were like, it is an American film. Um, here, the Oscar is best international film, it's, so it's not eligible anyway. So it has been getting a lot of recognition in the major categories. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for Steven Yeun. First time ever an Asian-American actor has been nominated for Best Actor. So that is yet another example uh, of uh, a first at this year's awards. And he is nominated alongside Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. Mm. Riz Ahmed, obviously, is a British... Pakistani Muslim actor uh, who you know from Four Lions and Rogue One, which is a brilliant film. Well and, worth watching. You know, no, he's a, <laughs> yeah, all of those are great. You know, he's done so much good work already. Uh, he's a fantastic actor, and it's brilliant to see him. You know, now up in the big leagues and getting recognised with an Oscar nomination. Okay. Um, however, best actor category, it is looking like. Chadwick Boseman may well be getting a posthumous Oscar for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, you understand absolutely why everybody wants to uh, throw some love his way and recognise not just this role, which in which he is very good, but also recognise, you know, what a great career he's had, what a great 
sort of icon for the African American community he became, only to have it all cut tragically short by cancer. So you could quite easily see Chadwick Boseman win. Uh, even though he's up against Anthony Hopkins in The Father, which is another very sort of strong film, Gary Oldman, Stephen Yeun, and Riz Ahmed in Best Actor. Remind me what you thought about Ma Rainey. Uh, I liked it very much. It's a stage play adaptation, and it, and it sort of never quite fully breaks free of those theatrical trappings. True. Uh, but I really liked its sense of uh, sense of period and the music and the performances. You know, Chadwick Boseman and, and Viola Davis you know, going at it, clashing hammer and tongs uh, in, in the sort of the basement of a recording studio where they are uh, recording a very sort of heated set. Uh, that is on Netflix. So that's another Netflix film, uh, so, you know, in the, in the uh, main categories. Uh, so you can check that out now okay. if you haven't already. Um, it's very interesting, uh, a journey down memory lane to, I mean, who's ever seen inside a 19, early 1920s recording studio? That wasn't just the basement, that was the studio, more or less. Yeah, and I imagine for like a music, a music techie nerd like yourself, that was uh, you know another layer that it that's amazing that it really sort of exposed. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, I I liked it. I liked it very much. I, I can't remember if it quite made it into my top ten or not, but it was right around there. You know, it was a a, a major film in my uh, in my top ten. Yeah. Uh, very quickly, other things I just want to point out: Sasha Baron Cohen has done incredibly well. He's got a Best Supporting Actor nomination for The Trial of the Chicago Seven, yeah. which is also up for Best Picture, etc. Um, he has also been nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay for Borat, subsequent movie film. <laughs> uh, Maria Bal Balakova, who plays his daughter in the film, has also been nominated for Best Supporting Actress. That's impressive. Yeah. Uh, but the be but he's gonna. He's going to be up against some stiff competition for best actor in a sporting role because you've got my fellow Brit, Daniel Kaluuya, seems to be the early favourite for Judas and the Black Messiah, where he's going up against his own co-star, Lakeith Sanfield, for the same film. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, it's nearly time for us to get to the news. So, you see where James is going today. Uh, what would be your question to our listeners who will very shortly become viewers as well? What's your question for them today? Um, you know what? What do you think of the Oscar nominations? Who do you think is going to win? Where do you where do you see uh, people Some being questions. recognised? We should also point out Hong Kong has been quite widely recognised. Yeah, yeah. They have a best uh, international film uh, nominated for Better Days, even though that was shot in Chongqing. But hey, uh, <laughs> and also there is the controversial. There's a controversial short documentary that is actually directed by, I believe, he's a Dutch filmmaker, and that's called Do Not Split. But that is all about the 2019 protests. Rock and roll. Get in touch with us if you want Morning Brew, Facebook, etc. Let's get on and do the news, which is happening very shortly after this. Right, well, he's got a little bit more to say about the Oscars, and by all means, do bring it on if you want to. Steve says again, can't believe Sorkin didn't get a director nomination for the Chicago 7. What about that, James? Yeah, I mean, you do get the feeling that he was sort of next on the list. He was the one that got kind of bumped if you, you know, if you put them side by side with the best picture nominations. But at the same time, you know, Sorkin has been recognized already. He won a best screenplay Oscar for uh the Social Network and he has been nominated again for the Trial of Chicago 7. I think he is at the moment the favorite to win that Oscar. Uh and as much as I like The Trial of Chicago 7, which I do, if you look at that and you look at his previous film, Molly's Game, I think he has still yet to come into his own as a director, quite frankly. Uh, and I think there was an opportunity here to recognise... I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's a surprising lineup of Best Director nominees, mm. you know, uh, which, we've been through, which we've been through already. Uh, but I think that just 
you know, makes it an all the more exciting race this year. Okay, then. Next. Tell us about some of the other categories apart well, from the, the big boys. Has anything grabbed your attention, for instance? Okay. Well, let's have a let's have a look, shall we? Um, I mean, <laughs> I yeah. Okay. Uh, best original song. Costume, best original song. Yeah, yeah. Go on. Best original that? song. What you got? Category. Um, I am very excited to see that uh, Husavik from Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah. The, the Netflix comedy starring Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams yeah. has been nominated. You know, I think everybody was very tickled by the fact when it made uh, sort of the long list. And everyone was like, okay, that would be amusing. It really would. If it made it through. And here it is. It's gone all the way through and it's gone. Because it's better than your average Eurovision Song Contest song. <laughs> yeah, well, that, yeah, that is just sort of an ironic point. Um, <laughs> it's got some stiff competition. It's got a, uh, a Deanne Warren song. And if... If I'm right, I'm pretty sure Deanne Warren gets nominated a lot in this category, but okay. might have never won. Um, you also have Speak Now, uh, music and lyrics by Leslie Odom Jr. from One Night in Miami. Leslie Odom Jr., of course, plays Sam Cooke in the film and has been nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He is obviously most famous for his lead, co-lead role in Hamilton on, yes. on Broadway. Yeah. Um, so that people might want to throw a little love his way Uh so you might well see him actually win, uh, you know, for Hamilton as much as as much as for the song that it's act he's actually been nominated for. Um, in the best score section, I'm really excited to see. Uh, well, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross have been nominated twice. Yep. Uh, and I hope that they don't kind of cannibalise themselves because they've been nominated for Mank, but then along with John Baptiste who I'm a big fan of from the late show with Stephen Colbert, where he plays the band, he plays, Soul, where he is the band leader. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, their score for Soul, the Pixar movie, which okay. is almost certainly going to win Best that, 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 Feature. Yeah. It is really great. <laughs> it is. It's a really great score. I listened to it a lot while I'm working recently. Uh, I would be very, uh, very happy to see that one go all the way. The one thing people have said so, about uh, that is, well, it's very different. I mean, that can mean many things to many people, but that's pretty much what people have said. Yeah, I mean, it is sort of, it's almost like two albums thrown together because, what you know, what John Baptiste brings to it is, you know, a very sort of lively, melodic jazz piano score, which is, you know, synonymous with the main character who is a struggling jazz pianist. But then what Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, they kind of add the kind of cosmic element to the story, which is about the afterlife and, you know, coming back from the dead and all the rest of it. I think both elements of it actually strangely and as unlikely as it might be complement each other really rather well mm. and I think that they they do you know there is a synergy between the two and I remember watching the film before I'd heard any of the music and really appreciating how how well it works with the visuals and then later discovering that it works just as well on its own so it does seem to be the one that's picking up the awards the awards right now it has won a few already but who knows if that momentum is going to continue. All right, then. All right, shall we get on to uh, Zack Snyder? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we, I mean, the one th last thing I do want to say, which has just occurred to me, is you know, you're normally what happens at the beginning of these awards seasons, people are campaigning really, really hard, uh, and it does sway sort of the opinion within the Academy and other voting bodies as the season progresses. Yeah. Of course, the season is going to be very, very different 
this year uh, without all of the parties and exactly. the gatherings and the governor's awards and the guild awards and all of those uh, schmoozing opportunities to wine and dine in different vo voting bodies. So there won't be quite the same opportunity to sort of press the flesh and wow people with your, uh, with your charismatic uh, personality. <laughs> it'll be far more just about the work, which is obviously what it should be. And it'll be interesting to see whether that has much effect on the winners or not as as the season unfolds um it sounds like it actually might because you 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 talk about how people's it opinion might. changes it sounds like there's a lot of as you call it flesh pressing and all that kind of stuff going on quite frankly to the outsider it all sounds a teensy weensy bit bent sure but that's the game that's realize, what it's become yeah. you know yeah, and it's you know it is uh, has become less about the work, uh, you know, more about whose turn is it, know. who you know, runs the best campaign, and all, and all the rest of it. But, yeah. Okay, we'll see. You know, we'll see. But that's, that's the game, and so it, yeah, exactly. We'll see. Yeah, you're usually mostly right. How's that? <laughs> oh, thank you. Mostly. <laughs> Come all on. Right, yes, we must. We must spend a minute talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League. Okay, if you haven't uh, heard by now. Uh, Justice League was a um, you know the DC Universe movie, the, the team up movie to rival the Avengers that came out in 2017. Mm -hmm. Zack Snyder, who had directed Man of Steel and Batman vs Superman, was you know world building and was leading up towards this great Titanic event uh, event movie. But then uh, you know the studio was dis less than pleased with what they were seeing from him. They were thinking, okay, this is too dark, this is too moody, it's too weird. And then apparently just as he finished uh, shooting and was getting into post-production, uh, he suffered a family tragedy. His daughter committed suicide and he dropped out of the project completely. Mm. Uh, Joss Whedon, who had directed the two Avengers movies uh, up until that point for, uh, for Marvel, was brought on to sort of lighten the mood, do extensive rewriting and reshooting, and release the film in, uh, you know, on, on schedule at the end of 2017. Okay. Uh, and it looked it looked and felt like a real mess you weren't entirely sure what had been reshot and what hadn't uh, but it was very odd i mean the one giveaway was the fact that uh, all the new stuff with superman in it uh, they'd had to digitally remove his mustache because he was shooting mission impossible fallout by that stage and his producers had told him you can't shave it off so they'd had to shoot <laughs> superman with a massive tash didn't you tell me a similar story about dr doolittle i mean the thing is one person starts the gig and try as they might. Yeah, that one it, was a mess. Yeah, and it contains all the flavours of the person. You said dark is the word right. in this one, of the first person. Then somebody else comes along, having been told to cheer it up a little bit. But it's just like a Frankenstein, isn't it? A Frankenstein's monster, in a way. Precisely. I believe I used that word in my review, actually. <laughs> did you? Of course you did, uh, James. <laughs> so thank you for quoting me back to me. I, I, you got to love that. Um, Webs. It was very much a Frankenstein... Uh, interpretation of the film. So anyway, ever since then there's been this rabid fan campaign to release the Snyder Cut and you know, word got out from Zack Snyder that yeah, he shot the whole movie. It was it was pretty much all there. Uh, there was a lot of pressure on Warner Brothers. Eventually, uh, they conceded and they said, "Okay, fine, we will let you finish the movie." Uh, he needed to spend a little bit more money. It turned out oh. to actually be about seventy million dollars, completing special effects, doing some pickup shots, all the rest of it. And he's put together this four-hour, you know, pure Snyder and vision of. Justice League. Exactly. This, this becomes the cult version then, doesn't it, down the line? 
Well, this was it. For good or ill, this is the version that he wanted to deliver. Uh, because it's not going to be shown in cinemas, it's going straight to HBO Max or HBO Go here in Hong Kong. Yeah. It can be long, it's full, it's four hours long, and it is it is dark, it is moody, it is brooding. It is everything that you kind of suspected it was going to be. Um, and you know, in some ways, that's a lot better. You know, a lot of the humor that had been added felt very forced, very awkward. The stuff with Aquaman, particularly uh, the stuff with the Flash, there's a lot less of that. He, he's, a, he's a lot less manic and neurotic. Well, you just don't um, see him. That's probably what it is. Cyborgs. Well, no, yes, I get it. I get it. That wasn't bad. Cyborg's character arc now becomes the major sort of character arc of the movie, whereas he was largely, a lot of his stuff was reshot. He was largely sidelined. He, Ray Fisher, who plays Cyborg, was vo very vocally displeased with how he was treated by Joss Whedon. A lot of um, complaints have come out in recent times about how Joss Whedon, when he came on, he was very abusive and he was very rude and quite sort of, quite nasty to work with really? ray fisher's character suffered a lot so now we see his whole um origins uh his evolution from uh, a, a near death experience as a as a uh, college kid yeah. to becoming sort of this sort of cyborg with with alien technology inside him that his uh, that his father created for him um so I mean, the story now is much broader in scope. It's much, um, like I said, darker. It's more about these individuals grieving. Uh, there was a lot in the in the first version of the film just about about the world grieving the death of Superman because obviously it opens with the death of Superman, yeah. uh, which which is how the previous film ended. And there, there was obviously a, a sort of very noticeable studio notes saying, we need Superman in this movie more, even though he's dead. And so there's lots of flashbacks and there were lots of sort of news footage and headlines and posters of just people being upset about Superman. So you were never able to forget that Superman was in this movie. Uh, this time out, you know, it's more just about the individuals. It's about Bruce Wayne. It's about Diana Prince. Mm. getting over the loss of their friend and then going, okay, we are now exposed to greater dangers from you know, foreign and domestic because our great protector, Superman, is no longer here. We need to put a team together. And that threat is far more sort of broadly realized. Steppenwolf has come down looking for these mother boxes which are going to disintegrate the Earth if they are combined. Yeah. But he is now longer operating on his own authority he is now merely a minion in the cog of a far greater intergalactic conspiracy is this one of those things that in times gone by you've talked about as being like parallel universe superhero movies superman versus batman superman. sort of the multiverse kind of thing it's well basically doing stuff that they're not known for but could in a parallel multiverse or whatever well i think what i mean certainly Zach's not. I think all of it, uh, all of it, sort of previously exists and has been covered to some degree in the DC comics. Yeah. I don't think this is like trying to present anything like a new concept. It's not registered uh, certainly to fans dive. of the comics. No. No. Um, what the film does do is set up a whole lot of stuff that we we now know. Uh, or we did know until like maybe yesterday yeah. was now not going to happen. You know, I think uh, Zack Snyder's original plan uh, before he dropped out and everything went wrong was to do three of these Justice League films, a okay. trilogy of Justice League films. 
setting up this sort of uh, dystopian post-apocalyptic scenario where Batman is, is trudging through sort of a d deserted wasteland. And we saw glimpses of it almost in dr like dreams uh, during Batman versus Superman. You get more of that now you know there is an extended epilogue which really sort of sets up a lot of that uh, and char characters new characters are introduced but we now know that none of that is going to be followed through none of that is going to be realized everybody snyder and the rest of dc and the rest of uh, warner brothers were very vocal saying you know no we've already decided none of this is happening anymore but we're just giving zach his moment to finish this one film however this week it seems that the reception to this new version of Justice League yep. has been so positive that it has started, nothing has been announced, but it has started the rumor mill going again, like that maybe, just maybe, they might actually look into maybe allowing him or someone else to explore some of these loose ends, because there are now even more loose ends oh, they must. than there were before. I mean, think about it. I, th I think they should, quite frankly, because they don't seem to have a very clear plan of where these DC movies are going anyway. Yeah. I mean, Batman is, has been rebooted. Robert Pattinson is doing a whole new Batman. Um, beyond that, you know, we don't really know what's going on. There's going to be another Aquaman movie. There's going to be more Shazam. But beyond that, we don't know. There's, I think there is a lot of scope. So we shall see. We shall just have to see. Uh, suffice to say, it's a completely different film now. Yeah. I, you well, know, what you do realise... <laughs> 